welcome everyone to I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist and the fortnightly edition these days, isn't it, Troy? It is the fortnightly edition, <laughs> yes. We should do those fortnight dances. Have you seen those? the way the characters do those fortnight dances? I have because I have teenage boys who were not as obsessed with Fortnite now. There's other games. But, yeah, Fortnite was a big thing in our house. And when in football season here, when the kids would score a goal, they would celebrate with a foot, uh, sorry, Fortnite dance. It's just a football dance. A football dance. Celebrate Fortnite with a football dance. dance. Oh, how nice. How long have your kids been playing NFL? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that has definitely crept into the local game. The Facebook group is growing. There's lots and lots of people in there. We're over 500 now. We've got that magic number and it just keeps growing more and more people every day. So welcome to everybody who is joining the Facebook group. It's great to have you in there and it's really great to, we're noticing that our administrators need to have probably less input as things go on because it's becoming a self-sustaining online community. So well done, people. It's fantastic, and it is a place where people can bounce things off each other, and I, I really do love the deep discussions that happen there. So today, though, today is Troy Day, so it is a, a time for Troy to... I'd just like to point out that every day is Troy Day. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, man, every fucking day is Troy Day. <laughs> Next week's episode is on narcissism. Um, no. <laughs> No, oh, so, it would have been a great AOG pasta. It would, would have been, been brilliant. It would have been great. Reality is, there's still time. There's yeah, still that's time. right. I think I'll join C3, though, just to be, is you it, know, counterculture. Oh, I think you should. You could be the seniors minister because we are <laughs> yes, getting into right. the, the twilight of our life. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So today, though, is your story. Well, you're gonna, I, I think I'm in part of these stories. I'm not in all of the stories, so I'm, I will definitely identify with some. I, I know a lot of these, but I am looking forward to hearing them myself. But there was, this was a really interesting time in your life too. So there was lots of intersections with the culty type stuff. And um, we're going to hear more about revival centres in here because you know, there's a, a lot of stuff happening still in Troy's life post leaving revival centre. But I'm going to hand it over to you, Troy, for story time with Uncle Troy. Yeah, story time with Uncle Troy. With his seniors card. Well, yeah, man. I, I when I was thinking about this episode and how we would journey with it or how would we proceed with it, originally I thought, let's do, you know, the whole cult thing and unpack the whole cult thing. But I realize it's probably multiple episodes, to be honest, because the cult thing for me, and when I say the cult thing, what I mean is learning all about cults and unpacking my own cultic experiences, etc really has gone on over 30, 40 years. So it, I don't think I can really put all that into, into one episode. So I thought what I'd focus on a little bit today was my journeying with understanding the revival centers and understanding the revival centers as a cult and all that that happened because that all happened whilst I was an evangelical, whilst I was a Pentecostal. And so it's it's a timely story in terms of where we're at with you know, with the opening up of our stories, with the unfolding of our stories. But I think also with Tom Tilley's book out now about the revival centres and also we're having him as an interview, I thought it'd be really good. It just seems timely to, to, to unpack that part of the story because it'll, it'll help 
feed some info into Tom's book and things like that for, for people, you know, for our audience that are reading it. So yeah, I just thought it'd be a really good point to, to hit on. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting, particularly when you're part of a cult, trying to convince people that we're a part of another cult, that they were in the wrong cult and should come to your cult. So I, I do love that. It's very cat in the hat. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that was the irony, wasn't it? But um, yeah, we'll come to that. With When I was in the revival centres, when it came to their history, they always used to say, oh, just after the Second World War, people started to gather and, you know, and everything sort of started around, you know, just after the Second World War. Everything was 1945, 1948, this sort of talk. They never told us in the Revival Centre, really, where they came from. There was never any official line of, you know, the Revival Centre sprang from this movement, from this group, or any, nothing. And it was all shrouded in secrecy. And I think Lloyd Longfield, who was the pastor, would certainly tell the upper echelons of where, where they had come from. And of, obviously there were people that it was still in the group that had been there at the, at the forging of what became known as the revival centers. But for we plebs, we just weren't told. And we knew that it had somehow come from other Pentecostal groups so that they'd once upon a time been a part of other Pentecostal groups, but they never told us, he, here's the actual story. And of course, later on, I realized that's because there's fucking secrets. That's because there's stuff they're not proud of. That's because they don't want people to know about these other groups, lest people be tempted, in air quotes, to go and rejoin those other groups, um, which were all valid worries for the Revival Centre or, or valid threats, because that happened all the time. People would. Well, it, I mean, it's no no different, really, is it? To You look at the Al Hardy's book, Beyond Belief, and she talks about, you know, the, the seedy beginnings, I guess, of the Pentecostal movement. And it was the same. Like, we were never told this when we were in the fold in, within the Pentecostal scene because there's some really bizarre and weird things happening there. Yeah, but it was it was even more than that, Brian, because in the Pentecostal church, we at least had a sanitised version of the history. Oh, the Welsh revival and the, you know, Azusa Street revival. We at least had a sanitised version. They hadn't fucking nothing. Just in 1948, a group of, and, and that was it. And that was all they'd ever say. They'd even do presentations on the history of the revival centres. And it was all the revival centres, it's as if they had always existed post-1948. There was really no backstory. So it was a little bit different to that. Well, it's a, it's, it's a very Christian story, isn't it? It always existed. It came from nowhere. Yeah, so, so really, and, and you know, later on when I did some study on this, I realised that what it is is the revival centres are, to use an academic term, historyless. And historyless, and, and historylessness means that you take a point in history and then you, from that point, your group starts to exist. And what I mean by that is it was as if, the book of Acts finished and then 2,000 years later the Revival Centre started and nothing happened in the middle. And, you know, occasionally except a great apostasy and everyone fell away. So it was as if we were a direct continuation of the book of Acts story. But, hey, the AOG sort of did that kind of thing as well. But at least, you know, there's Bible colleges and, you know, th there was just a whole lot more that we could access in mainstream Pentecostalism. So that set me going, well, who is this group? You know, I've left this group. They've damaged me deeply. And I wanted to know who they were. So I started to research them. 
and I started to research their their history and also the evolution of their beliefs. Like how did they go from being classical Pentecostals to being this, you know, baptism essential to salvation, speaking in tongues essential to salvation, claiming to be, you know, the truth. They never said we are the one true church. They said we are the true church. And the implication was, yeah, there are other churches out there, but we don't know where they are. So in essence, it was double talk and they were the one true church. So I wanted to know how did they evolve? How did they become what they were? And so I set myself on years, really, researching, years worth of researching who the revival centers are, where they came from, how it had evolved. And there were different periods in my Pentecostal time where I was more passionate about finding this out and other times where I just immersed myself in Aogenus and, you know, didn't really think about it. So it wasn't just, it wasn't consistent, it wasn't constant, but it was certainly there. It came and went and ebbed and flowed. As I started researching this stuff, I thought, someone needs to write a book, but not the Tom Tilly style memoir, but actually a book on this is the history of this group, this is how they evolved, etc. I wanted someone to write a book for me. You know, I, I wanted someone to write a book that would say, here you go, Troy, here's who they are, here's where they came from, now put it behind you and move on. I, I wanted that information and it didn't exist. So I wanted to write a book for people just like me. What is that that hill song all over the world, people uh, just like us? I was I was actually just going to chime in with that because that uh, brought me to a dark place. So thank you for taking me to that dark place. <laughs> so, so all over Australia, people just like us. and. I was in Bible college and started seeing stuff about, we had this book called the Theologi, no, a Theology, a Pentecostal Theology or something like this. And it was a theological text all about Pentecostalism. And it was arguing why the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues is not the same as salvation. And it turns out that Pentecostalism sprang from what was called a, uh, like a two-stage sanctification theological stance. So what it basically meant was you could be saved and then you could step into this next stage of sanctification or, you know, being made clean, being made whole, being made perfect. And a lot of like Wesleyanism, Methodists, they, they believed in this kind of thing. And so when the, when, the, when the revival centers, when the Pentecostals had this speaking in tongues experience, they were like, well, where do we put that? And so what they said was, well, this is a stage, this is part of that stage too right? That stage two of sanctification. And then they looked at it and said, well, sanctification is ongoing. So it became almost like a three-stage idea. You get saved, you get filled with the spirit and speak in tongues, and then you go on with sanctification. What the revival centers did was they merged that second stage back into the first stage and said, well, it's the same thing. And so you need to speak in tongues to be saved. And then there was another group in America um, called the United Pentecostal Church, which were um, connected to a guy named William Branham, and they came up with the same doctrine. So separate from each other, Revival Centers and the United Pentecostal Church in the US actually came to this point of view. And then that separated them largely from Pentecostals as we know them, the AOG and all that kind of thing. So that was the evolution of their beliefs, right? And I, I simplify that, but that's basically what it was. But the history was interesting because out of the AOG, came this group called the Christian Revival Crusade. But in those days, they were called the National Revival Crusade. And they'd separated from the AOG because they got kicked out, because they started believing in this very racist doctrine called British Israelism, which is that the British 
people are direct descendants of the lost tribes of Israel. Go and look it up. I'm not going to dive into it. But even the AOG said, that's too wacky. We're not having a bar of that. And they kicked out two guys named Thomas Foster and uh, Leo Harris. And they started this group called the National Revival Crusade. And they had Adelaide and Melbourne and there was other groups around New Zealand and Australia that were into this British Israel nonsense. There was even a British Israel Federation in England. It was it was quite a thing at one stage, but very racist, right? It's like we are, we Anglo-Saxons, white, we are the true descendants of Israel and the Jews aren't and, you know, certainly not the blacks and Chinese and people like that. So they got booted out. They started their own group. And then Lloyd Longfield, who's became the, the head of the revival centers, he got saved in inverted commas through them, right? So he got brought in into that movement. And he was unashamedly, I'll say this, he showed real signs of a psychopath and narcissist. So he was a great Pentecostal leader and they saw that from the beginning and started to, to elevate him. He broke away um, from the National Revival Crusade, called himself the Commonwealth Revival Crusade, and then later on broke away again from from his from the Commonwealth Revival Crusade and became the Revival Centers and then later the Revival Centers International. So that was their backstory. I think he missed an opportunity. When you go national to Commonwealth, surely Universal was next on the agenda. Like I, I really I think he missed it. Well, you know why they had to call them stop calling themselves the Commonwealth Revival Crusade was because the federal government said to them, you can't call yourself Commonwealth anything. So then the the Commonwealth Revival Crusade renamed themselves the Christian Revival Crusade, which are now called CRC Churches International, which ironically is more name-changing, Brian, right? There, There it is. There's that Pentecostal thing. So that was dating back to, you know, the 40s. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Yeah, they're good at it. Okay, so I worked all this out. I worked out where they come from. So, you know, when I talked about my friends, my remember my Maori friends that left the Revival Centre and I follow them, they actually went to a CRC church, Christian Revival Crusade Church. And so that, that's what you did. You sort of went from the Revival Centre, you went to the CRC or you went to the AOG if you wanted to stay in church somehow because you wanted Pentecostal. But I can remember I was really upset that, you know, this story wasn't being told and who they were and how their doctrine had evolved. And I can remember talking with the street team leader one night about them and he said, this really gets to you, doesn't it? Come on, let's go down to their building, which was in town, and let's march around it. And we marched around it seven times, speaking in tongues like the walls of Jericho, you know, marched around it seven times and then gave a shout at the end in the in the desire to bring the walls down around this cult. Spoiler alert, I was near this building a while ago and it still stands. So the old march. Oh, no, no, it's the spiritual walls, brother. Oh. We didn't want to bring the real walls down. It's National Trust. No, no, we wanted to bring the spiritual walls down, brother. Uh, well, it worked. Which we kind of, well, this is what I was about to say, which we kind of did. Yeah, they're, right? they're no longer there. Well, not only are they no longer there, they're in pieces. Yeah. As a group, true. right? So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that my marching around the wall seven times giving a shout brought the, an end to the revival centres. However... I, I think my marching around the wall seven times giving a shout brought the end to the revival centres. I feel that it did. Well done. Well done. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I mean, that's all you need to do. March around something seven times, give a shout. I think we should do it more. I did it to the bank who holds the mortgage on my house. So I'm not going to pay it any longer because the, the walls of my mortgage have fallen. Good job. 
So, man, there, there was a lot of talk amongst the ex-revival centres in the AOG and in other churches about spiritual abuse and about cults. And, you know, we were told, oh, the revival centre's a cult. But looking back, they didn't really know, meaning the people that I was hanging out with, what a cult was or anything like that. They just knew the revival centre was a cult. And and that's what they would that's what we would say to each other. And I think it was comforting in one sense to say that to each other because we could brand them and, you know, they are now them and not us. But I think also there was smatterings of we knew that some of the practices and some of what the revival centres had done did seem to align with what we'd see on A Current Affair or 60 Minutes about these different cult groups. So I think it was fair that we were calling them a cult, but we didn't really know what that meant in any sort of depth. But then also this whole spiritual abuse thing, and there was a lot of evangelical books. There was books like Churches That Abuse, The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse, etc. So I was reading those, and I was reading mostly Christian books, mostly evangelical books against cults. And and I was reading those and going, yeah, totally, this is the Revival Centre. But as we said before, ironically, I wasn't seeing that in the AOG, or at least I wasn't allowing myself to admit that I was seeing that kind of stuff in the AOG. Well, in, in all fairness to you, though, I mean, I think the AOG felt a lot freer. It felt a lot more normal probably than the Revival Centre. So that natural progression into something you don't always see it and you I mean as we've said before you don't want to admit that you've fallen for the same shit more than once do you yeah I think you're right and I think also I wasn't ready you know like I I needed a next stage as we've said this before you know I needed a next stage rather than to step completely out because if I had stepped completely out there was no support there was no networks there was no understanding there was nothing Where, where do you go what do you do yeah, so I didn't. But what happened was I was um, singing in church one day, as I was happy to do, which is kind of silly now I look back on it. But anyway, that's another episode. I was singing in church one day and afterwards this woman came up to me and she said, hey, Troy. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, do you remember me? And I'm like, no. And she's like, I was in the revival center with you. And wow, you were too. And she was total goth, complete goth. And I was like, okay, so should I pray for your soul and cast the demons out now? And she had uh, her husband and another couple that they were with, and we later came to know them as the Revival Four because they had been, they'd left the Revival Centres, they'd started going around hunting for other churches, etc. but they were just so, so goth and so, you know, they just smelled of the world, brother, was really hard to take, but they started talking to me about the Revival Centre's a cult. Did you know the Revival Centre's a cult? And then they started telling me about cults and how cults operate, and they had started not delving into the evangelical spiritual abuse stuff. They'd actually started delving into the whole psychological psychological association of the US, you know, these kinds, American Psychological Association, this kind of stuff around cults, and they were bringing stuff to me that was just like, wow. And do you remember when I was at the Toronto Blessing meetings, I told you there was that guy that came up to me and said, hey, are you Troy? I heard you're doing stuff around the revival centres. And um, I'll call him Jay. And he was connected to the Revival Four. And he introduced me to, there was three of them. I'll call them J, V, and T. Okay, so J, V, and T. And they were all evangelical Christians. 
or evangelical at least to a point. And they had this, they, they saw themselves as cult busters. And they had this idea of, and they introduced me to the idea, we've got theological cults who are wrong doctrine, wrong theology, and we have psychological cults, which is all about the practice. And groups can be both, and groups can be either. And they said the Revival Center is a theological cult because they're practicing the wrong doctrine, which is what I was all about, right? Yeah, sure, I could see that, you know. But then they're also a psychological cult that they're shunning, they're destroying people's lives, there's, you know, information control and all that kind of stuff, and they completely opened my eyes to that. I think I remember this, the goth couple. They used to drive around in a big black goth car even, didn't they? Totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they had, I I think I remember they had a coffin in the, as you walked into their house. Correct. Did you go there? Yes. I took you there. Maybe you did take me there, but I, I remember conversations. And they had a black cat. They had a black cat. Like they were, they were the full goth. And I remember you saying to them, "Hey, you've, you, you know, you're glorifying death, not glorifying That's life. It. You yes. can't be a Christian if you're not." Yes, I do remember this well. I don't think they ever said you can't be a Christian, but I would have said to them, "You know, the thing about goth, the goth thing is it glorifies death instead of glorifying life, and we've been set free from death and all that kind of stuff." Yeah. I, I wouldn't have put it to them in a sense of you can't be a Christian, you need to stop. I don't think I was that stupid. But I did certainly pressure them and stress them <laughs> and put it all on them. Yeah, it didn't work. Um, they were they were total goth and I, I did. They were great. But I remember they stood out like sore thumbs, a great big OG. Yeah, well, do you remember one of the guys, um, one of the Revival Four, he actually shaved his head and got a barcode tattoo put on his head. Oh, was that him? Which was just like fucking Barry Smith. Like you don't put a, you don't come into an AOG church with a barcode on your head in the early nineties, right? God no. I mean, these days it'd be a QR code, but um, that's okay. Barcodes good back then. Barcodes were good, yes. Yeah. So, so these these there's revival four as we called them, and then there was you know JV and T, who were all V was an ex Jehovah's Witness, T was. Uh, a mainline Lutheran, but he was part of the evangelical Lutherans. And then Jay was involved in Churches of Christ. These guys were a cut above in terms of, you know, like they were very smart, very switched on, very passionate about their faith. But they were also, they weren't really in touch. This isn't true of them now because I'm still in touch with all of them. But they weren't really in touch with with themselves in terms of being self-aware. You know, they were just, let's go bust cults, you know, and they're just like bull in a china shop sort of thing, you know. But but they were great and they were really good for me at that time. What's interesting is only evangelicals and fundies are really interested in theological cults because we have the truth and everything else that's not the truth is not the truth. Whereas psychological, sociologically, psychologically, People aren't interested in, in, in what you believe. You can believe whatever you want. You can believe that John, Paul, George, and Ringo were members of the Rolling Stones. Who cares? Go for it. But we were more interested in the the right beliefs, even more than some of the, the psychological behaviours. But I think that's because it's about purity of belief. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You were truth seekers. That's, that's what you were. Yeah, but also truth defenders. Yeah. You know? So these guys were cult busters. It wasn't just enough to help people out of a cult, we have to destroy the cult because the cult is bad for us and bad for society and bad for Jesus. And again, the irony of I was out busting 
revival center cult whilst in the AOG cult, you know, and it, it, but they wouldn't have seen, those guys wouldn't have seen the AOG as a cult either. They would have seen it as, yeah, it's not the best. I don't know what he's doing there, but they wouldn't have seen it as a cult because at least we had the right doctrine or mostly the ones that mattered, you know, right baptismal formula and, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so these guys really blew my mind and they started to introduce me to people like Stephen Hassan, who is a, um, a cult buster, Rick Warren, no, not Rick Warren, Rick Ross. Rick Warren was a purpose-driven church. Purpose-driven church, yeah. No, Rick Ross. And then there was another guy operating out of Melbourne, a, a Jewish guy named Raphael Aaron. Um, so I started buying these books and reading these books. And really, Brian, I've got to say, that's when it started to really <laughs> creep into my heart, you know. Sorry, that's Pentecostal lingo, isn't it? It really started to sink in that, hold on, I'm seeing some of this stuff in the AOG church I'm in now. You know, this is, and, and I, I, I would just push it aside because I just wasn't ready. So here I am going out to a revival center, people going, it's a cult, it's bad, you need to leave now, whilst being in the AOG where it was a cult, it was bad, and, and I needed to leave now. Um, but I wouldn't because I just wasn't ready. Well, and, and also, what did you have to go to? Because whenever you've moved somewhere, just, just like me, you go to the next thing. I mean, you've always got to have a gentle landing. If you don't prepare that gentle landing, then it's a really unsafe time in your life. So in fairness, again, you weren't, you weren't ready. You weren't preparing your landing elsewhere. Yeah, that's right. But that happened later, as you know, we've already heard. I went over to the Baptocostal Church and then later Churches of Christ. So still in the AOG, this thing called the internet has started to to come around. And I was an early adopter, as you know me, and technology. I love it. Got a new Apple Watch, by the way. Oh, you're one of them. Yeah, I'm one of them. I've been one of them for a while. This is a new one. Gave the old one to my son. I've got a Garmin. I'm a, I'm a Garmin fan. But, you know, okay. I don't even know what that is. Oh, fine. Let's, let's have on the Facebook discussion page, let's have a Garmin versus Apple Watch discussion then. Yeah, and, and we'll win because yours is a cult. So there was a th this thing called the internet. I got a, I can remember I got a 14, no, a 197 uh, modem, which, you know, beep, beep, you know, connected to this, to this um, what was it? It was some sort of PC that I had at home and went online and started to find these websites and discussion boards around cults. This is the very early days of the internet and people are already on there saying these are cults. And so started to read about cults and started to read and have conversations, online conversations with people about cults. Through that, I can't remember exactly how it happened. It's a long time ago. So this is like, you know, early 90s, maybe 93, 94, maybe even 95. Yeah, no, it was definitely before Country Town AOG. So we're talking sort of 93, 94. And started to connect with other ex-Revival Centre people through these bulletin boards. The next thing you know, we started our own. So we started our own board. And we all got together, this group of disgruntled ex-Revivalists got together. And in essence, an anti-Revival Centre movement was born. And, and I was there at, at the start of it. And so I'm bringing in all my, my research. And there was a guy from Adelaide who was a, a, a studying to be a lawyer who'd left the Adelaide Revival Centre. He's bringing in his research. And the timings for this is all wrong. But, but in essence, that's what happened. And 
we started to connect with each other and share our stories and people would find out about us and come on and, and bring documents and resources and it just started to grow. So in the same way you've got anti-Jehovah's Witness or ex-Jehovah's Witness groups and ex-Mormon groups and you know ex-Boston movement, you had this ex-Revival Centre one. And then we found out that there had been other people that had discovered the revival centers in the past, other ex-cult or cult busters who had published works and we were helping them to correct their their, their misinformation and all that. And it was it was just really, it was, it was a part of something and I was very, very passionate about it. I, I don't know if you can remember this stage in my life, but this is, this is where I was at. I remember it very well and I agree. It was a movement and it was, dare I say, a, dare I say a bit of a, an obsession at the time, I remember you were incredibly passionate about it and you were uncovering the hard truths. It was where investigative journalist Troy began, I think. But you, um, yeah, definitely part of it. And I, I do remember those early internet days that you were an early adopter. I remember you showing me the internet and I was going, whoa, this is like really incredible. But it was, yeah, I, I do. I do actually remember this and I remember it very well. Um, I obviously didn't get involved in this part of it some of your other culty stuff I did, but certainly I remember you being a leader in this space of uncovering what the Revival Centre truly was. Yeah, so I was spending a lot of my time downloading Revival Centre stuff, but, you know, early days of internet, I did have a folder full of pictures of Claudia Schiffer in her bikini. I will say that was actually on my early computer as well, praise the Lord. Yeah, I think you showed me um, a couple of those. It, we waited 15 minutes, had a cup of coffee while we waited for a picture to download. But there there might have even been Heather Lockley in there as well, I think. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. And and probably members of the cast of 90210. Yes. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> chance. Enough of that. So I started to work with these guys online and we started to publish this stuff and we started to collect you know this is back in we became early spammers this is the early days you know there was no etiquette and that kind of thing around email so we would collect revival center people's email addresses and then spam them with anti-revival center stuff um, and got got that out there people started coming to my house ex-revivalists who were leaving started coming to my house and talking to me, you know, wanting to know more about this research and where, you know, can they have copies and and stuff like that. And, and it was early days, you know, where I'd give them originals and say, look, go ahead, take this, photocopy it, bring it back tomorrow. Okay. And then I'd never see it again. And I was like, fuck, you know, you, you just can't do this anymore. So there's a lot of learning for me because I hadn't been to uni at that stage, you know, I didn't understand things about, you know, source documents and you know it was just all new but I was learning a lot I was learning a lot about research and I started this thing called the revival network which had a um a phone number and a PO box and I started simulating revival center pamphlets revival center tracts I started making them look exactly like the revival center ones not to trick people because it was obvious that they weren't revival center but to basically say in the same form of what they were used to. So when I'd give them one, they couldn't say, you can't give me this because like, why well, you do, you give them out all the time. So here's one of these, you know, and someone gave me a mailing list, like a snail mail, regular mail mailing list for one of the biggest revival centers in Australia. So all of a sudden I had all these people's names and address. So me and some of these guys got together and created these pamphlets and I put them, I, I spent my own money. I sent one 
an envelope full of these pamphlets to every single member of the revival centres in this big town, which was the biggest, right? So, well, I'll just say it, it was Melbourne. And so all of a sudden, on a, on a weekday, at some point in, I don't know, 1990-whatever, revival centre people all opened their mailbox to these pamphlets basically challenging revival centre doctrine and revival centre practice. And it was just like, boom, you want to be a cult buster? Here you go, bust this motherfucker. <laughs> well, you, you were definitely groundbreaking because that's the Jehovah's Witnesses do that now with their handwritten photocopied letter. Um, they send everyone going, hey, I'm in your neighbourhood and um, I'm here to help. And if you've got any more questions. So you were, you were very, very groundbreaking. I think the Jehovah's Witnesses copied you. Yeah, well, they would. Not a new idea between them. So, yeah, started this thing called the Revival Network. I had a phone, as I said, a phone and a P.O. box, and, you know, occasionally people would call, occasionally people would write, not really, but not very often, but occasionally people would ring and, like, ring a bell, ding, 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 you know, try and running out the tape on my um, answering machine thing, or they'd ring and say, you know, they'd threaten me, not so much threaten me, but they'd it eternally threatened me, you know what I mean? Like, you're against the Lord and the Lord's going to destroy you and we've got the truth and what would you know and all this. I know that had an impact. I know a lot of people that would have been wavering would have gone, oh, so maybe we don't have the truth. And and they, they started to hemorrhage, you know, and then those leaflets started to go around Australia and those leaflets started to go around the world as they sent them to each other. And And I, and I knew that because people who later left would tell me this is this is what happened with that. Meanwhile, you've got what's going on on the internet, and so you've got a lot of revivalists starting to lurk around our discussion boards and stuff. And I created this um, character, uh, this persona, because his name was, remember, it's Pastor Longfield. So I became this character called Pastor Wrongfield. Oh, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, Pastor Wrongfield and um, Royd Wrongfield. And so I was on there and I I would argue with myself, right, because I, it was me arguing with Pastor Wrongfield, right? And and then people, I think later on, people started to think that I was being a bit duplicitous, you know, because it was both me. And maybe that was true. It's maybe not the sort of thing I do now. But um, it was all new, you know, and w- there were no rules. You had this other guy that's created a character because the guy in Adelaide from the Revival Centre was John Coolman. So this guy became uncool man. <laughs> and that was his character. And it was, it was just dorky ex-cult members on the internet having a really good time, you know, with the occasional Claudia Schiffer download. Yeah, man, it was it was huge. And it eventually grew into a number of websites. Different people took a different tack. Like one guy was focusing more on South Australia and Adelaide, and I was focusing more on eastern states and, you know, in, in Australia. And but it was we were we were together, we were unified, you know, sometimes we disagree with each other on some things and and then pastors started to leave and started to connect with us and started to being involved and whole assemblies started leaving the revival centers and the pastors would sneakily reach out to us, you know, and but not want their people to know that they're in touch with us. And and interesting, they would leave. They would exist for a few years, maybe even as lo- many as five. And then they would dissolve. Then they would, without the actual control coming from the main leadership, the main cult, they would eventually sort of dissolve and they would start to take on more mainstream doctrines or mainstream beliefs. And then there was no reason to 
to be separate anymore. And so they would sort of, you know, dissolve. A lot of people would leave completely, walk away. A lot of people would join other Pentecostal churches. And that was the way it was. But there was a couple of groups that continued on. And one was the Geelong Revival Centres and their group of churches, which had left in the 70s. And they were very, very hush-hush. We never heard from anything from them, even when we were in the revival centres. They were all very hush-hush. But they, they, they resurfaced. Just this is Geelong near Melbourne. In yes, sorry, Geelong Revival Centres in, in in Australia. Yeah, and they'd originally been part of the the founding of the revival centres, and then Lloyd Longfield and Noel Hollands had this fight, and they split. Right, which is the revival centre story: split after split after split after split. And so some of those ex members started to appear, and so we. We, we brought them into the into the fold as well because they believed basically the same thing even though they were told as much as we were telling lies about other Pentecostals, they were telling lies about the revival centres, the other revival centres because they didn't want them to go there. So these ex-members turned up, so we connected with them. Then there was another group called the Christian Assemblies International which had been the revival centres in Europe who had broken away. They were mostly German, um, Scottish, etc., and they came the ex-members started to surface and joined up with that, and they were a cut above, man, in terms of a cult. I mean, there was sexual exploitation and all kinds of things, and actually Four Corners ended up doing a story on them, Brian, some years later. So if you wow. Four Corners is an Aussie um, documentary series on the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting. Go, go and see if you can find it in their back catalogue, but it's all about the Christian assemblies. Um, and they were another one. So you had the Geelong Revival Centres, the Christian Assemblies, you had the Revival Centres International, which was the big one, and then they had a great big split around their fornication doctrines, but also it was a power grab, etc. So you had another group that came out of that called the Revival Fellowships. So now we had these four groups. So when we talked about, we used Revival Centres as a blanket term to mean them all, but they all went under different names. But, but slightly different doctrines. Not really. No, no. The doctrines were pretty much the same. They they would leave the revival centers, but they would pretty much stay true to the to the to the core doctrines. You know, they might have a different view on fornication or a different view on this and that, but their their core doctrines were pretty much the same. When you say different view on fornication, are you saying that? Well, some liked it lying down. Some liked it standing up. <laughs> are you saying that you didn't have to be excommunicated? If Correct. You fornicated. Right. Okay. Correct. They'd all do this forced marriage thing, Brian. Oh, uh, okay. So they still you, you still had to marry. Yeah. You just didn't have to be kicked out. Didn't have to be kicked out, that's right. Shame. So the work the work was it's funny talking like this, listen, it's the work, brother. The work was going well. But it was, and, and we were growing and we were getting a lot of ex members and the revival centers were just fucking hemorrhaging and it was just wonderful to watch because they were they were a house of cards. They really were. And it was so precarious and we just came along and went tap and it all came crashing down. So I wanted to get the word out about what we were doing. So I reached out to Triple J to the morning show and I got invited to be a guest on Triple J. So when we interview Tom Tilly, you can actually say to Tom, who was a journalist on Triple J, that you were on Triple J before him. Talking about the revival centres before him, yeah. You can have my crown, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He is riding on your coattails. Tom, oh, if you're listening, unbelievable. We cannot yeah, believe that you pulled this shit. I know. Where's my fucking royalties? <laughs> yeah. No, nah, no, nah, all good, all good, I promise. So, yeah, it was... It was really cool to be on there and tell the story and everything. And and look, I'll come back to this another day because I was married by that stage and my in-laws hated it. 
that I went on to Triple J and dissed any church that spoke in tongues and all that kind of stuff. So that cost me something as well, but but that's another story. But but also Triple J was the, and it still is, the youth network of Australia. It's on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. So it's a national broadcaster. And, and, and I remember even in the AOG, you didn't listen to Triple J. I mean, for a start, it was worldly music, but this was next level sort of will open you up to all sorts of um, worldly stuff. So I can see exactly why it was an issue. Yeah, yeah, they didn't they didn't like it. They didn't like that I was on there, but they didn't like what I was saying, you know. I was talking to them about, you know, speaking in tongues is questionable and all this. This is where I was by this stage, you know. I was I was in the Churches of Christ by that stage. What happened next was, you know, I graduated from Bible college. The, the Revival Centre stuff was going really, really well. I was in the Churches of Christ, still believing, yada, yada. And I, I'd finished Bible college and I thought one of the things that you do when you finish Bible college is you go on to some sort of postgrad work, right? But I knew I didn't want to go to a Christian college again. You know, I'd, I'd had my fill with that. So I started looking around at different universities that had religious departments. I mean, secular universities, right? So one was quite close to me. Um, in particular, that had a really good, really good name, really big reputation. Actually, it's one of the top universities in Australia. And I went to the head of the religion and theology faculty at this university, and I took bags of my research, made an appointment to go and see him, went and saw him and said, this is what I'm doing. And I threw all my research down and I showed him everything. And he was just blown away. This is amazing. Um, and I said, I want to do a master's degree and I want to do it here. I don't want to do a master's degree at, and, and maybe this is because I was, in fact, I know it was, Brian, I was deconstructing and I knew that on some level I didn't want another Christian degree. I wanted a secular degree because that's what matters, you know. And I took the research, showed him, and he said, as I said, this is amazing, this is great. I said, I want to do a master's. And he said, well, the thing is you've come from X Bible college and it's not so good, you know, like he was very gentle and he was very kind. I think he was a Christian himself, you know, but he said, it's, it's, it's really not up to scratch. So what we're going to need from you is we're going to need, if we let you in, because I would, there's no way if I'd gone to like the, the proper entrance channels, I would never have got in. He said, if we're going to let you in, you're going to have to do what we call a master's qualifying, which is the same as a graduate diploma just to get you, your skills up and your understanding of, you know, how real uni works, you know, it's, is, is in essence what he was saying. So I had to do this one-year full-time course, which was a graduate diploma in arts, religion and theology from X university. Lovely. I always wanted to go to uni. I'd always wanted. I'd always felt like I'd missed out. You know, Revival Centre kicked me out in year 12 and messed up my, my results. And then I went to Bible college for fuck's sake, you know. So they said, you can. We'll, we'll let you in, um, and this can be your your topic. But what you'll need to do, he said, we're going to give you three subjects and a capstone and a research paper for your grad dip. You can choose the revival centers as your assignment focus for each of these subjects. So you're going to get assignments. Talk to your lecturer, let them know what you're doing, and bring the lens from that subject onto the revival center right? And do it that way. And so everything is still working towards that. And then you can write your capstone and then that capstone can be the basis for your master's. 
So all except one subject. So I did a hermeneutic subject, which is the study of scripture and interpretation of scripture. I did one on Christian history, but it was first century Christian history. So that one I couldn't do the revival center. I did another sociology of religion, which was just perfect. And I could focus on the revival center and that one. And then I did my capstone. Interestingly, for my first assignment at, at the university, I'm going to call it M University to not give away where I was. All right? So I'm at, I'm at this M University. The first subject I did was this hermeneutics, the study of scripture, and my whole belief in the authority of scripture came crashing down, <laughs> that my first subject, because they just went, okay, so here's this perfect book. And then they just started to unpack church history and different views throughout. And it was just like, and I can remember before I did the subject, my then wife read the the synopsis of the subject and said, you're going to lose your faith if you do this. I'm like, no, I won't. You know, God is bigger than that. Holy Spirit's bigger than that. Um, And even the pastor of the church said, I don't think you should do this. The church where I was going, the churches of Christ. And I'm like, nah, don't be stupid. Anyway, two years later, I'm divorced and living in Asia and got nothing to do with church right so they were right but um it, it just it all came crashing down so i i actually did my first assignment in that was actually on the authority of scripture from an aog perspective and i tore it apart absolutely tore it apart how could you not it was just it, that was a house of cards in itself second one was somehow on the revival center then the sociology of religion one just showed me about how religion is used as a tool to for, for social control and, and all this and it was just like fuck you know bang that was that one as well um, and I did did some revival center stuff on that. Then the the church history one was on first century church beliefs and the saints and having picnics on the grave sites of the saints and all the wacky things that they were into as as early Christians, um, first to third century. And then which which was an eye opener too because like oh we've always been dicks. It's not just a new thing, you know. And then the um the last one was this capstone, and I ended up getting a. Because I was, you know, I was fairly new to uni. I was like a first year uni student doing doing honors level subjects. So I think I made a seventy, which got me into the masters. You had to get at least a seventy. So I got a distinction, but just a distinction. You know, it was all new. I, I remember all this time, and I, I remember, I think, looking from afar and being concerned about you, being concerned that you were going to lose your faith, being concerned that you were taking a path which was destructive, it wasn't something that was going to help. And I I would have not said anything to you about that, but I definitely remember this vividly from that time. Hey, I'm going to put a pin in that one because we'll come to that when I, you know, continue on with my story. But that's 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 exactly what happened because I was deconstructing the Revival Centre, but how could I not be deconstructing everything else because it was all sitting in that pot? I did, a, I did a paper on the racism of British Israelism as well and started publishing that online and the Revival Centres hated it because it's like, we're not racist, we have black people in our church. Yeah, you do, you know, but you're still racist. And showing, and there was just this full-on anti-Jewish stuff, you know, pictures of Jews with big noses and and kippahs on their heads on fronts of their books, and that you know the answer to the Jewish question was one of the books, and just fucking unbelievable. But when I was in there, it was just this is you know this is the church, so I started to put that out there. So these online discussion boards were bringing in a you know a real big cross section of people. And it was growing. But what happened was some real hardcore fundamentalists 
started to join the discussion group. They were evangelical fundamentalists and they started to diminish this psychological side of cults, which I had been pushing and, and focusing more back on the theological side. And when I started to resist them, then started the ad hominem attacks, the attacks on me as a person. And, and it got really nasty and it became really trollish. And I won't say that I was always acting well either, but it became very dark and there was a lot of you know, nasty debates and accusations and all that kind of stuff, not about the revival centers, but about each other. And there was this one guy who later on, and it's funny because as I've gone through this journey, Brian, I've realized he was actually connected to more theological college and the Sydney Anglicans. But I thought the Sydney Anglicans weren't what they are. And now I realized he was just another cult member, right? But this time from Sydney Anglicanism, arguing with this evangelical cult members and ex-cult members. And we were all just, you know, we're all doing our best. Yeah, he he caused a lot of people a lot of psychological angst, to me, myself included. And so it just got to the point in the end where I thought, I can't do this anymore. And I stepped away from from the bulletin boards and everything. And I I set up a Revival Center Prophecy site. So I'll, I'll share all these links to anyone that's actually interested. But I looked at a lot of their prophecies that they made and how they didn't come true. Um, so I published a site full of those. Um, there's also a story site where I collected a lot of people's Revival Center stories and put that on there. And then, of course, there's this AMU site. It's uh, revival.amu.com. And that has actually got a collection, a lot, a large collection of a lot of what I wrote back then, the history and the, the theological evolution and those kinds of things. Even my um, uni thesis is sort of spliced up into article form and they're on there as well. Yeah, anyone who's interested can go and have a look at those three. But the prophecy site's actually hilarious because they were making all these prophecies and you know about the end of the end of the world and return of Christ, and they never happened, of course. That's in there as well. The other thing that happened was that Christian Assemblies International threatened me legally. They came at me with lawyers, letters, cease and desist, and all this kind of stuff. And by that stage, I was living in Singapore, so I just ignored them. But they tried first to wine and dine and sixty nine me by inviting me to Europe at their expense to come and see that we're not a cult and we will pay really? for everything. You, yeah, you come to Europe and everything. And I was like, I'm not going there. You fucking having hot sauna baths with all the men naked and people are saying you're touching each other and shit. I'm not going anywhere near you. And then, then so they, they tried to hit me with the carrot and that didn't work. So then they threw the stick at me with, you know, lawyers, letters. And at first I freaked out and then I'm like, oh, I'm in Singapore, you're in Europe, I don't give a shit. I, I was, was going to say that that would have freaked me out. Yeah, well, it did at the time, you know, and that's why I think when we were doing all this at first, I was like, oh, you know, let's not say our real names. <laughs> yeah. But I think what happened with all this, Brian, was, you know, we've talked about this before where Troy was looking at, looking back at for this pure form of Christianity. And I think what this did was I was looking at the Revival Center going, okay, that's not right. Let's go back, you know, to sort of Pentecostalism. Oh, that's a bit wacky. Let's go back to sort of Methodism, you know, let's go back to the, you know, the Reformation, let's go back to Catholicism, let's go back to the early church, and just constantly going back looking for this pure, true form. And you can understand why the revival centers don't want to know about church history. They want the book of Acts to end and the revival centers to start, because it's all wackiness and weirdness, and you know, there's, there's no holy story in there. And I know Christians will say, oh, it's humanity mixed with, you know, with divinity and it's all well and good, but it's not. It's just crusades and witch, witch trials and burnt at the stake and, you know, just the whole bit. It's just, it's just fucked. And so for me doing that 
unpacking the revival center and, and it was it was true deconstruction my friend that's what it was but unpacking the revival center and then going all the way back i kept changing churches you know to, to a point where i was attending a catholic church for a little while and even that was like oh yeah i remember this from year nine and the, you know my year nine re teachers in um jail for pedophilia that's not really got the answers either has it well let's go you know let's go back further let's go and have a look at judaism you know, was was sort of the next thing. I mean, it still it still goes on. You know, it's still looking back, trying to work out. You know, next next stop will be animism. I think I'll be <laughs> looking at you know, and then yeah, and then maybe child sacrifice. But uh, dude, I think that's what set me on that path, and I think that's what's made me who I am. And you know, the other thing about all this is you can look at this and say, yeah, you know, it's all painful, it's all this and it's all that. But four post degrees, postgraduate degrees later. It all started because of the Revival Centre. I wouldn't have the degrees that I have now, which are not religious, of course, um, but I wouldn't have everything that I have now had I not gone through that. You know, I mean, I learned so much about research. I learned so much about, like you said, you know, investigative journalism, which I later went and got a degree in that, you know, because I wanted to to do all that. Of course, the industry died and I ended up a school teacher. But anyway, moving on. I learned a lot. And I grew a lot, and I think it, it led me to jettison the faith, but it also led me to open my mind and explore and and see, and it le- led me to learn. I learned to write. You know, as a friend of mine said to me, she said, you have this love affair with the written word, Troy, which I do. You know, I love to read. I love to write. I love to, man, it's it's made me who I am. And, and, and I'm excited to say that. I'm excited to say if it hadn't been for the Revival Center, I wouldn't be who I am today and I wouldn't be half the person I am today, but not because of the goodness of them, but because of the challenge, because of the confrontation, because of the, because of the arguing, because of it all. Yeah, and look, you, you'll get people who are still Christians or still fundamentalists who would hear this and say, well, yeah, of course he's going to lose his faith. It's all confirmation bias. He's just, or he's searching for something else. He's going to confirm it through all his studies. It's worldly. He's backing up with worldly stuff. Um, but you're saying it's not the case. I, I was, I started this from a Christian perspective with a Christian bias, and believed it, and I didn't want to see or. All these things, Brian. I didn't want to see that the Bible was flawed and the Bible was a human construct. I didn't want to see that church history was full of all. I didn't want to see any of that. It was painful. It was it was gut wrenching, heart wrenching, and yet it was true, and I couldn't ignore it. Absolutely, and you know, and and it has ultimately brought you to a good place. But there's been a shitload of pain in between that. There's obviously been a lot of exploration that you've had to do with yourself and and trying to understand all the stuff that makes us tick. And and, and you know, I'm similar. Obviously, you know, this stuff brings it up. I'm the same when I studied and started to really unravel for me. Um, but it's because you're letting in actually another truth you know you're actually having some critical thinking that you're employing and as much as people may say that's a bad thing i'm not not all people but many people would say it's a, of course people listening to this podcast i hope you wouldn't say that but uh, i mean that's the reality you actually have some inquisitive thoughts some investigative some research and i think it's a good thing in the end well let me just add one more thing and, and we, this could be another episode, but I actually started exploring other cults like the Mormons, 
like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the family of God, and, and, and non-Christian ones as well. And when you start to use the, like with, with the Book of Mormon, for example, when you start to find the mistakes and errors in the Book of Mormon and say, see, it's not true, then you have to do that to your own book. And what eventually happened was I went far enough back, and this is much, much later, but I went, you know, because I didn't jettison my faith until 2004, and this is all happening in the early to, to late 90s. This is all, you know, that, that decade there. But you go far enough back and you go, okay, well, if I'm going to reject Mormonism based on this or the Jehovah's Witnesses based on this or the Revival Centers based on this, then how can I not reject Christianity? based on this as well. It's, you know, it's full of errors. It's full of flaws. It's got a, a very colorful history, sometimes very dark, even darker than Jehovah's Witnesses, you know. And so you, you just can't, in all good conscience, hold on to it. Now, I will say to our Christian listeners, you know, those that are more moderate, I'm, I'm not telling you, you have to go on this journey. I'm not telling you, you have to unpack. This was my journey. And this is this is where I went. So you can still be a, connected with us and connected with the group and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to undermine your religion because I told you I wasn't ready for the longest time and maybe you'll never be ready. Maybe you'll be happily a Christian for the rest of your life. That's cool. But I will throw down the throw down the gauntlet, I guess, and say if you – is that even a saying, throw down the gauntlet? Let, let's make it one. Yeah. I'll throw down something, throw down the challenge and say – if you go in and research church history, you go in and research, you know, the evolution of Christian doctrine, etc. You you can't hold on to your faith. It, you'll eventually let it go, but that's up to you in your own time. Yeah, that's it, and it's run the gauntlet, I think, and run throw down a challenge. But you know, if I think if you go straight to um, throwing it down, it saves you running because it's already there. So it's absolutely fine. Just I think Fair that's enough. a lazy way, but, you know, good, good on you. Look, I think, look, I couldn't give a shit what people believe personally, and, and it's around the actions that come from that. You know, I mean, we've seen the damaging effects of Christianity from so many angles of it being so incredibly exclusive, judgmental, graceless. I mean, it's a, a religion that preaches grace, but often it is completely graceless. It's that sort of stuff that pisses me off. So if you're going to to retain your Christianity and make that a part of core of who you are, whatever, that's totally cool. But don't be an asshole. Um, you know, don't be someone who is, um, you know, separatist. You, you talk about being part of the world, be part of the world, but just don't be an absolute ass. Yeah, well, that's what I was talking about originally, you know, the, the psychological impact and the theological impact, you know, and so theological doesn't matter. And I'm there now too. I don't care. You can believe, like I said, you know, the Beatles are part of the Rolling Stones. I don't care. But if you're going to treat people like shit, that's where I will take issue. Yep, totally. Well, I think, you know, definitely where you touched on going to the Mormons, the J-dubs, all that sort of stuff, I think that's where we intersected more. And I think it mm. is another episode because it was exciting stuff. Like it, I remember being, that's where I felt like I was part of a bit of cult busting and completely self-righteous going, I am part of the the true beliefs and we are going to uncover this Mormonism. Yeah, we're going to save you from your Mormonism. We're going to save yeah. you from your Jehovah's Witnesses, which is funny because they were going to save us from our Pentecostalism at the same time. We were just, it was just two of the same types of people yeah. doing the same thing to each other, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was a bit pathetic when I look back on it, but fun. Like I remember having some really fun conversations and I remember 
thinking, how can you believe this, you idiots? You know, there's contradictions everywhere through it. Completely blinded to my own crap, but I, I think how that... Can you, how can you believe this? Let me tell you about a talking snake in Genesis 1 or Genesis 3, <laughs> whatever, you know? That's what and a this friend one... of mine said to me once. He said, oh, do you want to have a debate on the... On the uh, on the inspiration of scripture, he said to me one day, and I said, okay, let's talk, let's start with the talking snake. And then he just went, nah, let's not have this debate. He said, and that was the end of that. Yeah, no, no legs to stand on. So, ah, snake it. joke. Good one. Did you like that? Yeah, that was very that. good. I, I didn't joke. even mean it. I didn't even mean it. That yeah, was, I didn't think you did, but that was good. Thing. I like it. No yeah. legs to stand on. So you got him taken away. You'll sliver uh, on your belly. Have you seen uh, Ricky Gervais when he does that one about um, Genesis? And, he, no. and when God says, you'll slither on your belly, and he's like, and he's like, I'm a snake. Oh, you mean I'll just go like this? He's going like this, and it's like, <laughs> snakes don't have legs. So he was obviously a lizard is basically he what he was and then became a snake. But see, it doesn't. Yeah. It just makes no sense, the whole thing. Oh, come on. I, I, I think that we should have a theological debate. It's, um, look, well, interesting. Jesus is stuff. coming back in your lifetime. First in century adherence. I'm, I'm telling you, it's happening. Let's let's stop it here because I, I think there has been an incredible amount of stuff. And, you know, we, we have said this before. Oh, we won't go back to the Revival Centre, but this was an incredibly important one to go back on. I'll see you in a fortnight. 14 days, apparently. That 14 means. nights, yeah, indeed. Yeah, I'll die. Yeah, see, I'll fuck that up. Alrighty. <laughs> see you, people.